0: n-e-t-s-u-i-t-e dot com slash w-t-f all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the fuck nicks what's happening i'm mark maron this is my podcast wtf welcome to it how's everybody doing Things were, seem to be slowly and belligerently opening up here in California. I guess if you decide it's okay, it's okay. Magical thinking. It's amazing that given the small window of opportunity to get a little back to normal without any real information being dispersed in an appropriate kind of blanket way, Around this virus, that uh, just just a little crumb that we might be able to get back to some sort of at least phase one of something, some businesses opening. It's amazing how quickly a large number of people just decide it's over. It's over. I I'm I I I am grateful that my industry is uh, continuing to be cautious. Because it's so not over. And just the belligerence of it. I get it. We're tired of this. The inconvenience. The lack of work. The inability to get out and do things. But that doesn't mean you can decide it's gone. And it is. It's amazing how quickly people surrender their intelligence their memory, their common sense, when they've had enough. Scary, really, how that can be applied. Today on the show, I talked to uh, Joey Pants, Joey Pantaleano. Great. It's great. Got a movie coming out called From the Vine. It will be on VOD next month. But you know him from everything. He's been in everything. And I know some of you may have heard that he got into a little accident. Well, I tell you, you know, I'm feeling okay in this half hour, in this process of missing and mourning or grieving or just Lynn Shelton. I also want to tell you that there's a beautiful uh, hour-long or so tribute that's up on YouTube that her friend Megan did called Her Effortless Brilliance, a Celebration of Lynn Shelton. You can watch that on YouTube. It's got a lot of the actors and all, you know, someone from most of her movies and then musicians from uh, all the films that uh, did the soundtrack work doing a song. It's a a beautiful thing. Uh, Her effortless brilliance, a celebration of Lynn Shelton. You can find that on YouTube. So Joey Pants got into a bad accident. And, you know, like days after I talked to him, I I talked to Joey Pants before Lynn passed away. And after she passed, he wrote me an email, Dear Mark, and i talking like I'm from Jersey, Dear Mark, I'm deeply sorry to hear of your unthinkable loss. I only heard yesterday and was devastated for you. We listened to you talk with Lynn Shelton yesterday, looking at pictures. She was so beautiful. She seemed to shine. I'm so glad you found each other and had that special time with each other. I don't know if this will help, but I want to tell you an antidote to our talk a couple of Thursdays ago. I recall at some point talking about the benefits that I've experienced from COVID-19, that I've been spending much more time with my wife and adult kids, taking long walks, discovering hikes close to our house. Well, the following afternoon, we ventured out after a long rain Thursday night into Friday. It was still drizzling, but the fog was clearing, and I love walking in the rain. We were walking to the corner of the main road when a cloud opened and this amazing rainbow just popped out one of those double rainbows. So beautiful, I stopped and took my phone, did a little video and posted it on Instagram less than a hundred yards from the corner where I was to cross. There was a woman about to make a left-hand turn onto our street waiting for oncoming traffic. Because of the rainbow, Nancy and the kids had gotten 30 yards ahead of me. The kids had already crossed the street and Nancy was on opposite corner from me. This lady sees me and waves. I instinctively wave back. I don't know her, but I think she knows me from show business. Guess she's happy to spot me. She's so happy she keeps her eyes on me while she decides to commit to that left-hand turn into an oncoming suburban SUV doing 50 miles an hour. The guy didn't even have time to hit his brakes. T-bones her, slamming her with all that energy into me. I was hit up into the air and through a wooden three-post fence head first. EMT, concussion, and 10 stitches in my head. Torn meniscus, bad shoulder and back. I was a mess. I couldn't stand up. That should have killed me. No fucking rhyme or reason to why it didn't. Life. The love and pain and agony and the ecstasy of this journey. So few of us are lucky enough to have a dream, have the gumption to go after it, and then be lucky enough to have them come true. Some of us get to realize those dreams and more. You two were kissed by a rainbow. I'm so happy you found each other and had each other, held each other, loved each other. God bless you, your families, and may she rest in peace. Our family mourns your loss. Deepest sympathy, Joey Pants. I read that. Because, I, look, I, I've been getting a lot of condolence emails and a lot of support from all of you, but I, I read that because I, I was going to tell you what happened to him You know, a couple of days after we talked, but I figured I'd put it into that context and uh, it came in the form of that condolence letter. I'm not giving any of you short shrift. You guys have all been great. Thank you so much for continuing to be uh, checking in on me, so many people checking in on me. I guess you know in grief or I don't know everyone tells me there's no right way to do it, but I guess, you know that you're getting a little better when, you know, you're grateful for all the support you're crying. You're, you're spending time meditating, processing, praying, remembering. And then one day you, you think like, Hey, why the fuck didn't that guy uh, check in with me? Why didn't I didn't get anything from him or her? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't they, uh, send their condolences. As soon as he's in, in the midst of thousands of well-wishing, beautiful people trying to, you know, show me that I'm supported in this, one day the brain goes like, I didn't hear from that guy. I've known him forever. And then you're like, all right, something's changing. But then I have to frame it. I got to frame it with the new wisdom, you know, the new wisdom. It's all right. Would I have reached out? You know, do you know what to say? Some people don't know what to say. Some people don't want to say anything. Someday you run into them. They'll say, I didn't know what to say. And, you know, it's not it's not vindictive. They don't, no one owes anybody anything. Death is fucking weird and horrible. But it happens to everybody. I, I am getting a little, I'm not tired of it, but I, I start to understand, you know, why grief or death makes people uncomfortable. I mean, I have neighbors who I don't even know that well. And they're like, how you doing? And I just start weeping. And they're standing there and I'm like, I'm all right. I'm okay. You know, it just happens. There's something I'm, I'm sort of happy that, you know, I'm just, I'm, I have time to deal with this, you know, cooking and eating monkeys. Okay. Buster's okay. I use my Traeger grill a lot, but you know, when you use a Traeger grill a lot, when you use a wood pellet grill, I don't know if, if you guys experience this. Will you just tell me this? Is it just common like when you have a regular grill, charcoal grill and grease or grizzle or whatever gets on the thing on the thing, you just kind of scrape it off or it falls into the coals and it just burns up like grease. But with this wood pellets, this is what I want to ask anyone who has a wood pellet grill. Does it create this fucking like petroleum looking sludge that expands, you know, when you try to clean it off of anything? It's just like, it's, I think it's all of the sediment in the smoke mixing with the grease from the cooking. It creates a kind of tar, but it's like, it's very, it's it's viscous. It's not, it's not, I wish it was more solid. It's just this, it's, it's like oil and it spreads like oil. It's the one downside. Does that, is that just my grill or is that something that happens? That's the big question. That's, that's what I'm worrying about right now. My brain locks on to shit. You know what else is beautiful? You know when I talked about the hawk's nest and all the bird shit on my cars in my driveway? Well, there's like two baby hawks. I think there's two baby hawks and a mother hawk up there, and I just see them kind of hanging out. I guess they're learning how to be hawks, and uh, it's, it's pretty stunning. It's a pretty beautiful thing. I wish I had some binoculars. I used to have some. I don't know what happened to them. But I've been watching them. One of the baby hawks ended up in one of my little trees out front, and I saw it there. And this is is where I'm at. Like, the hawk was there, and I'm like, oh, fuck, is this hawk fucked up? Do I got a fucked up baby bird of prey in my little tree here? Why isn't he up there with the other ones, with his family? I just started looking at it. I'm like, are you fucked up? Because I can't handle a a fucked up bird your size. I don't know what I'll do. The sadness of it will just fucking kill me. And I just sat there and looked at it, and I was like, well, maybe he's just hanging out. Birds just hang out. It's not like he's got somewhere to go, really. But if he's fucked up, I'm not going to be able to deal with it. So I think I'm going to go in the house for a while, come back out later to see if it's gone, and just hope it's gone, and not on my lawn with some sort of fucked up wing or head or foot or whatever. I just couldn't deal with it. I just taken the goddamn cat to the vet. I don't know what I would do. With a with a baby hawk with a broken wing, you know, we're gonna put that in a box and bring it to the fucking vet. I just couldn't. Well, that's where my brain went, but I came out. And he's gone. He's up there. I saw him this morning. Him and his sibling and the mother hanging out. Um, Joey Pants, Joey Pantoliano, Ralphie from The Sopranos. He's in the Matrix movie. He's been in everything. All right. And, um, you know, as I said before, he's got from the vine, a film that will be on VOD next month. And, uh, you know, I talked to Joey Pants and I loved it. Jersey that. Get your podcasts right up.
1: Hey, it's nice to meet you, Joe. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for uh, taking Hi. the time to talk to me.
0: How are you? How are you holding up? Where are you? In Los Angeles? Are you here?
1: No, I'm in Connecticut. We live in Connecticut. Oh, and really? Perfect. Yeah.
0: Are you going crazy?
1: No because you know we live uh I have 3 acres. I got I got 3 of my four adult kids here. Yeah. Uh plus a wife and a boyfriend and we're taking walks. You know the first 14 days we were in isolation um and now it's just we're we with each other.
0: Right. we take so more wait, walks. Wait wait, so your wife has a boyfriend?
1: Is that what you're telling me? No, no, my daughter's boyfriend. <laughs>
0: that sounds pretty exciting you're yeah. a really open-minded yeah, guy
1: yeah we're very very liberal minded here in Connecticut <laughs> you know it's it's really bizarre it's weird it's it's fucking I mean, crazy normally I pretty much live on the couch anyway I mean I've, I've been isolated <laughs> for the last 12 years but but this thing this yeah we're starting to pop at the scene people are People are getting crazy. My friends, some of my friends are going crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I got yelled at by a lady in the uh, supermarket <laughs> last week. They put these tapes yeah. on the floor. So this right. you, you, you goes straight and no two carts at the same time anymore. And I didn't know. And the lady's <laughs> screaming at me about I'm going the wrong way. And I didn't see the line. So I don't know what she's talking about. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like being a vampire you know yeah back back away
0: it's crazy man but you are staying in touch with friends and everything
1: (sighs) the thing that i've noticed is my friends i'm talking to my friends on the phone again yeah you know for the last two or three years everybody's kind of texting each other there's no connection right you know my phone didn't ring right uh that's good thing and uh uh, you know, some of my friends have gotten uh, some. Some of my friends died. You know, I've I've I have three friends that died, and, and seven of them are still in the hospital. Uh, but the thing
0: of the coronavirus,
1: yeah. How many died? Uh, well, f- f- five people I know died. Oh my god! Uh, and uh, and three were you know good friends in New York. Uh, well one was in Florida one was eighty eighty one yeah he had he had like what they would call pre-existing conditions right uh, you know one friend got got sick and they thought it was uh you know stomach blockage it turned out uh it was before uh they shut down I was doing a play in New York and it was before they shut down the theater yeah all the theaters and uh so it was diagnosed as as a stomach thing uh it turned out to to probably have been the corona but he didn't die everybody's frightened and, and nobody's saying that they're frightened so they're arguing there's arguments about things that have no relevancy because yeah. they're cooped up and and, and concerned
0: yeah man I, I that's uh it's devastating i'm sorry you lost your friend in that yeah i have not you know that, that so many people on the east coast i guess all over are being personally affected i my mother's friend got it, but she got she's got through it, but i I don't know anybody personally out here, yeah, yet you know what yeah. I mean, yeah. but uh, but I can't believe that you spend a lot of time on the couch. It looks like you're working every fucking minute.
1: <laughs> it's the only reason why I work is to get off the goddamn couch <laughs> you know it's like, well, if I don't say yes, then I'll be on the couch. How many times can you watch Casablanca?
0: Well, I mean, is that why a lot of times you i mean, have you made movies you don't even remember doing?
1: Yes. And I've been seeing them. I, you know, literally you see stuff and you go, I don't remember. But, you know, recently my friend, Andy Davis, who uh, directed The Fugitive and we did three, three movies together. And we did a movie with Andy, Andy Garcia and Alan Arkin called Steel Big, Steel Little. And, and I always told him I, I didn't understand the movie. So he sent me the movie it was like the blue ray he says this movie is so up to date you know it's so relevant to today and what's going on and it is um but i saw there was scenes there's a whole sequence where i'm in drag Yeah. literally i'm (laughs) just in full drag i don't remember shooting it (laughs) i don't remember shooting it i don't remember anything about it Uh, wait wait, wait, what how is that possible joe well, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic, so
0: <laughs> that might to, have
1: something to do with it.
0: You but, were able uh, to you were able to work on you know drunk and work uh, on drug. What was the drugs? What drugs did you like?
1: Well, actually, no, I was I wasn't really drunk when I worked. Yeah, I right. Drunk when I got home. Right. Uh, but my you know my favorite drug was uh, painkillers, oxycodone.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. You
1: know, as I yeah. as it turned out. That you know I, th- I, I, I talk about this in my in my second book, but you know, I had seven deadly symptoms, yeah, right? And, right. And my first drug of choice was food. So when yeah. I was fourteen, I wound up becoming a house. I put on a hundred pounds, and I wanted to be I wanted the girls to like me. so I started starving myself, and that had a whole different effect. The idea that I could go to bed, you know, I could stop eating at seven. And, and go to bed and wake up in the morning having accomplished that goal of not eating. And, and the feeling that it gave me, uh, um, I really loved that feeling. Um, and then, you know, success for a long time was a drug of choice that if yeah. I, and all of this, this was like to escape this feeling that was living in here so that if I could become successful, this would go away. Or if I could, you know, if I could sleep, with the, the beautiful uh, actress, model, whatever, this would go away. What was it, What's
0: that? Me? What what is that? That sadness inside? You mean?
1: Yeah. Well, I you know intellectually I didn't know that it was sadness that it was you know uh, overwhelming depression. Right. I didn't know that. I just knew that I didn't like the way it felt, and that if I achieved this, that this would change, and this yeah. never changed.
0: I just felt it. I just felt because I'm sober myself, but I just felt like in, when you talking about that, you know, I just felt the, uh, the, that, that weird rush of relief that you literally feel in your heart when you eat a piece of cake or do a fucking line of blow or <laughs> fuck somebody. I mm-hmm. just felt it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't usually feel it, but yeah, there was something about the way you were communicating it. How, how do you, did, now do you do uh like, are you a sober guy? or are You just, you just done with that shit?
1: No, I, you know, I, I do, I do a lot of things, but yeah. you know, it's like one thing I, I realized is I'm far from sober. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm a fucking lunatic, you know? Yeah. So I don't do drugs and right. I don't drink alcohol and yeah. I don't, I don't alter my chemistry but yeah. I'm I'm absolutely out of my mind. Yeah,
0: I mean, you can get off on anything, right? You know, anger, yeah. food, whatever. So wait, how did you grow up? How did you come from it? You come from a depression. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, um, there was a lot of trauma in my family. It was uh, handed out to me. My my mother, uh, you know, my mother hated her father, and and uh, and she hated men, and and it, 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 even the men that she loved. She, she, that self-fulfilling prophecy where she would go after, to get them to pop, uh, and uh, and when she, they went, and when we would pop, she would start singing "Who's Sorry Now" in bad voice. She was a terrible singer, but to, as, as a challenge, smoke four packs of cigarettes a day, and she would go "Who's Sorry Now"? Like I won. You know, I won. After she not after
0: you. After she pushed you over the edge?
1: Over the edge. And she did that with my father and her third cousin lover, uh, who uh, ultimately turned out to be my biological father. That Why, I was. Yeah. Until I, I was 20, 60. I was 64 years old when I finally found out. I got absolute evidence with that 23 and me that I I did it. Because my sister was giving me all kinds of shit. That why did I say that cousin Flory might be daddy? Um, and uh, and so I was staying with a friend. He said, you know, there's this thing twenty three and me that'll shut her up. Yeah. So I sent the kit to her, and we both spit in the tubes, and it came back said I was, uh, you know, she was my half sister. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>
0: So that's just a few years ago. Yeah, that was a few years ago. Oh my god. So, wait, so wait, you where would you you grew up in New Jersey?
1: Yeah, I grew up in Hoboken, New Jersey. Small town.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was a small town then. Now it's a hipster town. Back then it was what was it mostly Italian?
1: It was a, it was multi-ethnic, you know, very diverse, but I mean, it's like it's only a mile square and there's something like forty five, fifty thousand 50,000 people live there. Uh now it's a very wealthy community now.
0: Yeah. got all redone and everything. So what, what was, uh, what was the family business?
1: Well, you know, my father, Monk, Dominic Pantoliano, uh, he, he was a foreman, but he was a degenerate gambler. So, yeah. and so was my mother. Uh, <laughs> so was everybody, you know, everybody's always always pay, playing the numbers, <laughs> always, you know, it's the daily double and, uh, and oh. Flory, cousin Flory. I remember
0: your real going, dad.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, like Aunt Lizzie, his mother, who my mom would take me to the city every, you know, on the weekends to say, see Aunt Lizzie. Right. I realized, then I found out that Aunt Lizzie was my grandmother. You know, so wait, at so, 62, so I had to do the math then. How, how, how are they related? How
0: is the Flory a cousin?
1: Uh, Flory uh, was a callow. My mother's, so on my mother's mother's side. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, so and then Aunt, Aunt Lizzie was my mother's second cousin. My oh, okay. grandmother was my, you know. So, and right. point of fact, my grandmother was also my fourth cousin.
0: But everyone's a degenerate gambler, so that's a that's that's one of the bugs, right? Right? Absolutely. You didn't, you didn't get yeah. that one.
1: No, no, because you know we'd have to we'd have to sneak out in, in the in the dark of night to beat the landlord that was you know, putting liens on us. Uh, you know, my mom would, uh, you know, I was born in 51. So if, if they shut off our, our telephone, which was a constant every 80 days, they'd yeah. shut it off. And then she'd get the, the da- daily news and go through the obituary and, and see who died and say, okay, yeah. Hello. This is Mrs. Sullivan. Uh, I just moved to 701 Adam street. Uh, I need to get my phone turned on. And that's,
0: she just she'd use the dead person's name or the oh, yeah. the wife that
1: she would she would get five dollars a vote. When we would go to all of the polls because she said, "Listen, dead people have as much a right to vote as people that are alive." And she would go and find people. You ever see the the movie The Great McGinty, Preston no. Sturgis? Oh no. my God, you got to see this movie. It's fantastic. But you know that's what we would do because the whole thing that that saying all politics is local politics has a way bigger meaning for me.
0: Oh, cause they, she would, they, they, she'd get paid by a candidate to vote for dead people.
1: Yeah. And you, you know, when you get, you get your guy in on the third war to be an alderman and, 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 you know, now they had some power. So uncle Popeye became the dog catcher.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uncle Popeye was also the town drunk. So he would forget <laughs> that he had dead dogs in the trunk.
0: Is that and serious? we
1: go down to Jersey shore, we, we, you know, the kids, none of us wanted to be in Uncle Popeye's car because it smelled of uh, of those terrible Tempico cigars and, and dead, rotted dogs in the trunk. You couldn't get the smell out.
0: So you didn't want to go to the beach with him, huh? Didn't you want to go down to Jersey Shore with Uncle Popeye?
1: Yeah, Long Branch. Yeah, we didn't want to do that.
0: So when do you get like? And your father, you, they're both gambling. God, you're so fucking lucky. I I tell you, man, as a guy who did drugs and drank and sex and whatever, the gambling one, I'm so glad I never got that. Yeah, because it's because it's like it's crazy. I don't need. I don't even understand where the fun in it is. You know what well, I mean? Well, that's like, the thing.
1: There is no fun in it. There's no fun. In, I mean, the, the the thing is, what what I had to learn was that it was the 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 aggravation the 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 that rage that that fear the confusion that was visceral that i could feel that yeah. that reminded me of home but this whole idea of serenity that right. I, I i couldn't pick serenity out in a lineup you know yeah. it's like what has no feeling yeah you know
0: yeah who needs that
1: anger and rage is a much more visceral feeling than love
0: yeah oh for sure yeah oh yeah and so, so you do. You have a constant. Do you have to constantly kind of? Because uh, I find as I get older, because I have an anger problem too. But like, yeah, you start to realize you hurt people, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's like, what does it? Does it have to be said? Does it have to be said now? Does it have to be said by me? I I talk a lot less now. <laughs> okay. Nothing. To, no, I have nothing to add. <laughs>
0: And that way, everybody stays around. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. don't end up
1: alone, yelling at nothing. Yes. Yeah. So when do you? You just have the one sister? I have my sister Marianne. Yeah, Marianne, and then I got, I got four kids. They're all adults, and 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 four grand boys in Las Vegas. My daughter's in the restaurant business there.
0: Oh, in Vegas, you go out there a lot.
1: To see the kids, I hate Vegas. I've always I, hated it.
0: I hate it too. You mean you hated it when it was nice before it got shitty? I
1: I hated it. Yeah, I hated it when you know what, the old Vegas. Uh, yeah, because of, I I think maybe because of the gambling. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, it, it just uh, and you I just don't th- like the desert. I don't like. It's like no. <laughs> too, too too bleak. Yeah. Everything looks alike. You yeah. go by them all, and they got a dentist there. They got an eye, eye place. They got the pizza hut. It's all the same.
0: Yeah. 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 So you've been living on the East coast your whole life.
1: Yeah, well, I lived in LA uh, for 20 years when I went to California I, in 77, somehow wound up um, in Venice and uh-huh. uh, lived around there. And then, you know, when my daughter was like 16, her grades weren't so hot. And I said, look, I don't want to live here anymore. I don't have to. I never work here. But my, you know, they hire me. I get on an airplane. I can do that back east, and I hear the schools in Connecticut are good. So either you get your act together, or we're moving. So we wound up moving, and then after the first semester, she wound up becoming a you know honor student again. And I said, oh. "What changed?" And she said, "Well, I guess uh, you know it's kind of it's cool to be smart here."
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, it's a good call on your behalf. Yeah. So when so how did you start? How do you start the business? How did you start acting? Did you did you go to New York? Where'd you go?
1: Yeah, my uh, Flory had a friend that knew an actor.
0: Not your and, father, not your mother's husband, the, the uncle.
1: Yeah, the cousin Flory. Couple. You call my
0: him cousin, your father Flory. now?
1: Well, he, yeah, I, I called him my father. I called them both my father after a while. Okay. When he, when he got out of prison, he he lived with us, and then. Mommy threw daddy out of the house and, you know, Flory stayed.
0: Oh, so and he was actually there when you were a kid.
1: He was there until I was like, you know, he'd come and visit. And then I remember him. Uh, I have memories of him coming to the house and playing with with me. And then I remember my mom taking me to the federal holding facility. He'd been convicted of what I didn't know at the time and and, and and saying goodbye and touching the glass and talking on the telephone, uh, you know, I was seven years old. I, I thought it was really cool. Yeah. What do he
0: get? And what was he in prison for?
1: The last thing was, you know, d- uh, drug trafficking. He uh, was a, he was a solid, he was a wise guy. That's, yeah. you know, like I wanted to be an actor. He yeah. wanted to be, he wanted to be a, a wise guy. That's what he wanted to be. And he was. And he was.
0: Okay, so how, how
1: did that? How did he inspire your acting? Uh, he said, every, every move I ever made in my life was the wrong move. Yeah. So don't fuck up your life like I fucked up my life. The energy that I put into doing this shit, you could take that energy in a positive way, and if you put your mind to it, if this is what you want to do, because he saw me in the high school play, he said, if this is what you want to do, and there's nothing that can stop you, he said... Remember those fucking movie stars? They wipe their ass twice a day if they're lucky. Yeah, and uh, and so it was what I wanted to do, and I and I met a guy who said go down to HB Studios, and that's how I you know I, I've been incredibly lucky in my life to meet mentors, you know, people that had something that I wanted, you know, like they say in the in the twelve step program. That, that saw something in me that I didn't know existed and guided me. It was HB Studios. HB Studios. There was a guy named Al Sinkies. He wasn't even a teacher, um, really talented guy. You know, uh, and I got to stage manage on, on shows that he directed, and, um, and that was know, in New York. Yeah, down on, on Bank Street. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and and also teachers, teachers like uh, my my uh, speech. Therapy teacher there, and and other teachers that followed after him, and 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 just you know other people, you know like uh, the Wallacks, Eli Wallach and Ann Jackson, because I was in school with their daughter Roberta, and they uh, they they took me and introduced me to my first first agent and working my just those little teeny breaks, a series of of those little thousand little breaks that you get.
0: So, what was it? So, in high school, you did some acting, but what was the first stuff you did in New York?
1: See, when I decided to be an actor, I was my last year in high school, and I was, I don't know, four months shy of being 19 years old because I was undiagnosed dyslexic. You know, they didn't have dyslexia then. It was either you're stupid, lazy, or crazy. Right. So, I didn't know how to read. I didn't learn how to read because. I was embarrassed. That it was so difficult. And I just took a attitude. It was one of the reasons why I wanted to be in show business is I thought you didn't need how to read, to read,
0: you yeah. need to
1: learn how to, <laughs> right. you know, what do you need to read for? That looks easy. I've been yeah. lying my whole life. And, uh, <laughs> and so that, you know, my, my teacher said, if you want to do this, you have an aptitude for this, you're going to need to learn how to read. So, uh, I started I was diagnosed, I found a, a teacher, an elementary school teacher that evaluated me and said I had a third grade reading level. So those first two or three years at HB Studios, I used uh, to find off off Broadway, and I would audition uh, for little little plays that had no repercussions, uh, so you know that I could fall on my nose and nobody would give a shit. They, right They weren't going anywhere, and I wasn't going anywhere. Right, and so I did a lot of these little basement plays uh, as I started to learn how to read. And yeah.
0: um, it's a crazy time, right? It was basement plays. It must have been pretty wild, though. It was the '60s, right, or what? Early '70s.
1: Early '70s, yeah. But listen, in the you know my my rent was one hundred and six dollars a month. Right. I was weighing tables t- three times a week and living like a king. I was making you know one hundred and forty dollars a week. Yeah. I had a lot of money. I don't know how these kids do it today.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you're doing the little plays in the basement. You're learning how to read. You're waiting tables.
1: Waiting tables. And uh, you get lucky. And I, I got to play uh, a national tour of One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Who did you play? I, I played Billy Bibbit.
0: Oh, wow. And then I, yeah. I
1: got another production of that with Robert Forrester, a summer tour.
0: Who did he play? McMurphy. Oh no, kidding, huh?
1: Yeah, he, you know, and he, he is another one that just, you know, saw something in me and 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 introduced me to people, and I got to hang out with them and get to know them, and he was great. He was absolutely great, and and, uh, and I just uh, then I got my SAG card. For what? Uh, I did a I did a Joseph Strick movie. Uh, ba- Barry Bostrick was in it. Regina Bath. Robert Dreyfus, I was thug number two. Uh-huh. And and uh, and, and I, I did that, and I, I, I would see guys that were in my acting class yeah. on television that they were, oh, there was this whole exodus of people that were going to New York, from New York to Los Angeles. And they were on, like, you know, Police Story and I uh, shide and Kojak. And I'm thinking, if those guys can get jobs, I can get a job. Yeah. So I saved up enough money with my then girlfriend, fifteen hundred dollars each. And we we got on an airplane.
0: So so you go out and then you're, you're just doing you start doing uh, TV in, in L.A. Is that what happens?
1: Yeah, I got really lucky, really quick. Uh, As uh, you know, I was there a couple of months. And back in those days, you had the audition. You know, there was a, a casting director named Eddie Foy III, who, who uh, was, I guess, the grandkid of Eddie Foy, the famous comedian. Yeah. And uh he worked at ABC. He was a casting guy. Uh head of casting, I guess. And and uh my girlfriend uh got an audition. We did a we did a scene from a play and he thought I was right for something and recommended me for this this pilot with John Biner, this TV show that we're doing at ABC, John Biner.
0: Yeah. It, Another comedian.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I and I wound up getting that job. Yeah. Uh and that was at Columbia TV. What was that called? That was called McNamara's Band. Oh, okay. At that um, Bernie Kukoff and Jeff Harris and Harry Columbia uh, yeah. wrote. They wrote that. <laughs> uh, and I think it wound up becoming, turning into Johnny Dangerously, the, the, the Michael Keaton movie years later. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and then uh, somebody, you know, Columbia TV, I got hired uh, by Rob Reiner for a TV series that he did, a half-hour show um after all in the family called free country and it took place it was a turn of the century sitcom yeah we did five of those and then and from that columbia tv was doing the remake of from here to eternity a six-hour miniseries and i got that
0: did you play Uh, the trumpet player
1: no, Pruitt. No, I I wanted to play, I played Angelo Maggio the the part oh, for, Of course, you know, right. Frank yeah, Sinatra, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sure. was funny because he was from Hoboken too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Did you ever meet that guy?
1: I you know, I I met Sinatra from afar, but he had sent he had sent this guy uh Mickey Rudin was his attorney and at yeah. the at the party, the premiere party, Rudin introduced himself to me and I was such an idiot. He said, you know, I've represented your predecessor for the last 30 years, and I didn't know what a predecessor was. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, what's the predecessor? He said, it's Frank Sinatra. I, rep- I said, no kidding. I said, you know, his his father and my grandfather were firemen together. He goes, <laughs> I know all about it. I said, what are you going to tell Sinatra? I, he says, I, I, I'm going to tell him you did all right. You did all right. But I was too nervous to meet him.
0: <laughs> You're too nervous to meet Frank? Yeah he did he held that much he holds a big place in hoboken
1: oh yeah i mean he was another reason like my friends in the acting class if sinatra could get out so could i it was a way to get out
0: <laughs> yeah
1: you know they made on the waterfront in hoboken it was a way to get out a lot of the guys were extras that were yeah. in the movie you know so it was like shit. yeah i'll be an actor that'll be a way to get out
0: so right so you're doing you're doing television in the, in the 70s there and then, like the movie thing, when does that take off? Like, I re- I didn't realize you were in that Idolmaker movie. I kind of remember that movie.
1: Well, that's the see what happens is is you meet people. You have like, uh, in that case, Rita Riggs was the costume designer on on uh, All in the Family, and she did the thing with Rob uh, uh, Free Country. And so Taylor Hackford was his first film, and he was staying at uh, at her place. Um, She had this beautiful um, warehouse apartment on uh, Third Street. So she said, hey, there's a guy I just worked with, Joey. You should bring him in. And so that's how I got that job. <laughs>
0: yeah. and you sort of establish yourself as a certain frequency because you're you know you're a singular t- guy singular talent and it just seems like you know at at any role that I've ever seen you in in my entire life it's just like which frequency of 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 me do you need do you want me how high do you want me to turn this up <laughs>
1: It's so true. It's sad, but true.
0: <laughs> like, like You want a little bit or you want the full thing? You want the right. full thing? <laughs> but, but no, it's great because you know no one can be you. But that was the first movie. The first big movie was The Idol Maker? I think so. When do you, like, outside of just doing the work, I mean, when do you r- realize, I guess it must have been risky business, where you're like, I'm a guy now. People know me. I'm on the street. They recognize well, I, me. I,
1: I thought that was the case when I did From Here to Eternity. And yeah. then- and then I didn't work for eighteen months, and I was weighing tables again uh oh no, really, yeah,
0: oh shit, uh, that's the worst
1: in New York. you can get away with it yeah. uh I was always just trying to pay the rent, you know I was always, you know it was just like i the the drive I was motivated by fear, fear of it's always the last job. I'm never gonna work again right and uh and, and And I never wanted to get too attached. It was like, I don't want to have to say goodbye. I hate saying goodbye. So when movies were over, it was horrible. You know, it was a hard, those last days are always horrible because it's just, you got to say goodbye. And you, you know, and it's.
0: You get attached?
1: Well, it's also, it's like this kind of concentrate you yeah. get there, you show up, and this one's your wife, and that one's your lover, and this is your brother, and, and so you, it's like instant, it's instantaneous. Yeah. Right, and, and I have and then a you family. Never see again. Yeah. yeah, like I have a family, and then yeah. they're gone, and they're gone. So, so it's but I, I just love the noise of it, the distraction, uh, the, the, the 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 moment of clarity in between action and cut. You know, it's like I, I always kind of. So I, I never knew who I was. Yeah. You know, I, and I liked the idea that I could invent somebody that I wanted to be like. You know, I think one of the reasons why I, I, I'm so convincing at playing bad guys is because I was such I was so bullied as a kid because I was fat. I was always getting my ass kicked because I was an easy target. These bastards would see me and they just start smacking me around, and and so I never when I I, I could never stand up for myself. So seeing those guys in my mind's eye when I was playing these scenes, a lot of times I was getting even with these bastards 30 years later. No kidding. (laughs) My doctor said I was sublimating, unresolved feelings.
0: So so by playing the bad guys, you were able to beat the bad guy.
1: Yeah. or, Or the bad guy that, you know,
0: kicked your ass when you were humiliated
1: a me kid? humiliated me you know that that that's a terrible feeling to be humiliated like that
0: to be embarrassed
1: shamed yeah and you think you're weak you think it's you
0: so you knew all these guys you, you're very familiar with bullies from the other side of it
1: oh yeah yeah uh, you know and and that's why trump bugs me so much oh he's, he's a real real deal nasty lying you know, a guy that got had to have been bullied his whole fucking life.
0: I don't know. Was he though? I mean, he, he seems to just. Rel- I think he's just kind of a sociopathic narcissist. I don't think he ever got. I think he always just sat there and you know waited for his moment to. No, to I think be-
1: I, I think you, you got to be creative. You got to be hurt that bad to, to 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 be that isolated. And his and, old man. It must be his old man. Had to be his old man. Yeah. yeah, had to be.
0: But you, you, your family—you didn't get it from your family, did you?
1: No, I mean, my mother was right. (laughs) Right. Right. My mother uh, was—you know—the shit that she would. She'd say the stuff that she would say to us, you know. And then, but she was damaged. You know, she, she had a terrible childhood, and and she was the victim of incest by by the hands of her father. She was she was terribly terribly damaged terribly damaged and and as a result we were you know we were victimized by that she loved us it was you just never knew who you were going to get you know right right
0: sure yeah 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 it's interesting though because you know you're a guy and i am the same way like i feel like i don't know who like for most of my life i didn't know who the fuck i was but like when you watch like an old piece of work you did can't you see yourself I mean, like, after a certain point, like, I started to realize, like, how am I the only one that doesn't know who I am? Because I'm the same guy. Like, I can see it in there. There's parts of me that never changed, which means to me that I was somebody, that I had a self, but for some reason living in it,
1: I couldn't quite identify it. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, you no. know, I, part of you know, there's a lot. I never liked watching myself. You know, and now that I'm an old man, yeah. to see my new, you know, the, the, the more recent stuff that the way uh, my body is and I'm leaning mm-hmm. over and I'm rotting away. You know, <laughs> it's like I can't stomach it. I, you know, it's Billy Wilder was quoted as saying, In some of my work I load less than others. Yeah. Did you feel <laughs> so that way? I, oh, I totally feel that way.
0: So, when totally. did you like, like when you're at working, like when you did Risky Business, was, you know, Tom Cruise a big star yet, or he wasn't, was he?
1: No, no. So, like, you didn't know what was going to happen with that movie. You're just taking a job. That's right. Taking a job. And, I'm you know, and at that time, they were doing all these kid movies, and it was for me, it was just two weeks' work. And that was a big deal. That kind of broke you, didn't it? Well, yeah. It's like, what the hell? I, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, uh, You know that that it was that successful. Like, what the hell happened? And that's that became my kind of connection with Warner Brothers for years. I went from one Warner Brothers picture, and you know, with with success, uh, you know, the the Fugitive, and and. um, the, you know, Matrix. I did a lot of uh, the Goonies, so it was Goonies. it was risky business to the Goonies, yeah. And then the, the Goonies to the Fugitive, and the Fugitive to the Matrix, and you know, and then and those are the ones that made money. I, I, I'm not mentioning the shitbox ones,
0: right? But you were in La Bamba. That did all right. I saw it.
1: That was a huge. That was a, yeah, and that was Taylor Hackford. He introduced it. So yeah. You know, it's like you make the the, the one thing that I've been very lucky about is that these guys like me enough to hire me again. Yeah. That's the one fucking thing because it's certainly not talent. Uh, no, you bring the juice, man. You're fucking <laughs> Joe Pantoliano. <laughs> my, my, <laughs> da- my daughter, well, she says, uh, she just made, made me change my Instagram. Yeah. Uh, 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 and it's, uh, I say, I'm no actor and I got over a hundred movies to prove it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: When when you were doing uh, uh, Empire of the Sun, could you ever have imagined that Christian Bale would be who he is now?
1: Oh, uh, no. I I could never imagine him being 20. We actually just saw that movie for the first time. You know, last week we did a Goonie reunion. Uh-huh. Uh, everybody. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 Josh Gad, he put together, so it was like, Spielberg and Donner and Chris Columbus and all the Goonie kids and me and Robert Dobby, the Fratelli family, uh, you know, one of those Skype things, everybody yeah, talking.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And uh and so after after doing that, it was really cool to do it. It felt really good. And so we my family and I watched the Goonies. Yeah. And 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 they said, this is really, it's really great. This is a really fun movie. And I said, you know, we got to watch. So the next night we watched Empire of the Sun. I haven't seen Empire of the Sun in 30 years. Yeah. And uh, and my kids were like, Holy, who's that kid? <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's the experience that I remember, not the acting.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, you're
1: yeah. You're talking about, oh, yeah, I was in China and, and I had to get I went to China, we, sh- we shot four weeks in China, and yeah. I had to drive a truck, it was a double clutch truck. Right. And so the Chinese, this is this is 1987, the Chinese made me get a driver's license, they wouldn't let me drive the truck unless I had a driver's license. Right. I was the first American to have a driver's license in China, and <laughs> I left it there, idiot that I am. Um,
0: you don't have your Chinese driver's license anymore? No.
1: No, because, uh, how cool is that?
0: <laughs> well, now you can drive a double clutch truck too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If I could find that thing.
0: But you remember him as a kid though, Christian Bale.
1: Oh yeah. 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 I, I, the whole family. I, yeah. They're adorable. They came to, they came to our wedding, Nancy and I, we got married 26 years ago. That, that was a Christian in his awkward stage, you know, 16 years old, right? Three. Um,
0: <laughs> That's fun. Do you still, are you still in touch with them now?
1: I saw you know I saw him a, a, a while ago. He we were at a shopping mall and this guy comes up. and goes, Jerry, it's Christian, and he says, "I want I want you to introduce you to my wife." You know, he's adorable. He's a good kid. They're, you know, he's a good man. He's a good yeah. man. Yeah, and, good actor, huh? Yeah, he's an amazing actor. Uh, and I didn't know. I, I mean, all I remember. I told this to my kids that uh, all I remember from that experience is how Steven Spielberg would have him running around before he said, said action, he'd get him on a bicycle. So then the kid was always out of breath. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's one of the few things that I remember about that whole entire experience. I remember we couldn't eat either. Cause we were supposed to, we we're in a concentration camp. Yeah. So I was like living in Spain for two we two months. And I was living in, in, in uh, in London and and China and we couldn't eat. We had the, we were on these strict diets because we yeah. couldn't put on weight.
0: And and you must and that must have been terrible. All the good food around, right?
1: All around you. I mean, That's, Spain. Those Spanish people are crazy. They don't go out to dinner until three in the morning.
0: I know. It's food and all. Everything's like a small plate. Everything, but there's hundreds of them. Yeah so and then like uh and then another memory i have is that the that midnight run character is hilarious and they really that was one of those characters where you could go completely crazy right
1: that was an interesting thing because marty you know marty press was somebody i knew from the nyu days when they were students right yeah right so he calls me up and says hey listen uh, i'm doing this movie that take a look at these two characters you could play either one of them, pick what you like. So I didn't like it. I said, I don't want to do that, Marty. I want to do something different. I've done that before. Well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to play the accountant. And he started laughing. He said, that ain't going to happen. I said, well, the only other part then is is the you know the bail bondsman. He goes, no, no, no. The bail bondsman, I got this other thing in mind. I want the guy to be really, really fat. He says, if you want that part, you got to win it. You got to come in and audition. <laughs> I said, sure. You know. So they said, you're reading with Robert De Niro. And uh, you know, I worked on it, I worked on it, and because of my dyslexia, for years I had always memorized the part, but then pretended I was reading because I didn't want them to think.
0: That right.
1: I was giving my best. This is my best a game.
0: So you had to act You had to act on top of acting.
1: Yes, and uh, and uh, I'm reading with De Niro, and at one point he's asking for money. He says, "Where's my money, Eddie? Give me my money," and he and, and he puts out his hand. Like, you know, give me the money. Yeah, yeah. And I took his hand and I shake his hand. I put his hand up to my chest. And I started petting his hand. <laughs> I said, what's And my line was, what's the matter with you? You don't trust me. And, I, and I'm like, like, I'm making love to him. What's the right. matter with you? You don't trust me. Come over here. You're going to yeah. get you. You know, instead of like another actor would say, what's the matter? You don't trust me. Get out of here. So I saw De Niro's eyes go like this. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, he was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this guy? And I felt really good. It was one of the only times I remember like feeling like I got the job in the room.
0: And, and, uh, was that the first time you met De Niro?
1: I think officially I used to yeah. see him in the village because of course I knew who he was. Um, and, uh, Oh, and I, I had a small part in Godfather too. And, uh, and I, we were on sixth street between Avenue A and B. They took that whole street and turned it into 1920 New York street. And, uh, we were in a tenement building and, uh, and those apartments were turned into dressing rooms. And I accidentally walked into his dressing room one day. I uh, thought I was going into mine and, and there he was, he was sit- sitting there reading his script. Um, so I'd seen him around. I, I used to see him downtown at the bookstore. Um, uh, but that that was the first time I officially met him as an actor.
0: Did you guys hit it off pretty good?
1: I liked him. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he was uh incredibly interesting to work with then. I mean, he was you know, that young De Niro had a, a mystique and a lure that he was incredibly uh concentrated and, and um but he 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 was incredibly giving actor. And yeah. uh, and uh, would, you know, knock on my door and say, you want to run lines and stuff like that, that uh, it was always about, you know, doing a good job and the work and uh, totally accessible. So I, I adored him.
0: After you do Midnight Run and you start to do, I I don't remember when you did the, uh, the bad boy movies, but I mean, you just, you just never stop. Oh, the Fugitive was probably before that.
1: Yeah. You know, and it, and it's not, it has nothing to do with, talent it has to do with movies making money right you know, back back then it was like if you know this movie is a hit okay he's in it boom like you know now i'm i'm in the the biggest hit movie in the world bad boys for life has been the number one movie it's broken all red records because of the coronavirus See, it's, <laughs> it's the last movie that's in the theaters so nothing has come out and because of that I am in the number one movie in the history of the world, <laughs> and I can't get hired. <laughs> we're all out of work. Who
0: were you in Godfather Two?
1: I was. My 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 part was cut out. Remember the guy, Panucci, oh. the guy in the white. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a scene where he is attacked when Coppola, years later, put together the Godfather saga, where he took all three movies and and and, and so I'm in that but I was one of three guys that that jumped jumped him and and cut his throat no kidding yeah it was really cool scene because he's all in white and and they cut his throat we cut his throat
0: oh yeah they they refer to that
1: yes yes by the way I tell you a funny story I I was working at O'Neill's balloon Patrick Patrick O'Neill's uh restaurant across from American Ballet Theater uh Lincoln Center yeah. I was a waiter there. And one day these guys show up and they got 16 millimeter cameras. And uh, I go, what are you guys doing? They go, well, we're, we're shooting. We're shooting some uh, B-roll. I said, oh, oh, you're filmmakers. I'm an actor. Uh, and they go, no, we're, we're doing a movie. We're looking. Uh, we're scouting locations for a movie that's coming in from Hollywood. I said, well, you got anything in there for me? And he said, well, not really, you know, it's all old people. But you're an actor. Maybe you know we're looking for a good casting director. So I only knew one casting director, Vic Ramos, who I'd done extra work for. I said, Vic Ramos, the best casting director in the whole world. <laughs> so a couple of weeks later, he calls me up. He goes, I'll be a son of a bitch. I've never gotten an extra. Got me a job. But I got, I just got this thing called Harry and Tonto with uh, Art Carney. But there's nothing in it. It's all old people. But I owe you one. So now he calls me up six, seven months later. He goes, look. I'm doing this movie for Pete's sake with Barbara Streisand. Peter Yates is directing it. You know the guy that did Bullet. Yeah, yeah. He says, "Well, you're going to work for me. I'm going to give you a voucher a day, and you'll take care. You're going to wrangle the extras, and and uh, and if there's a if there's a small part of something, you know, uh, maybe we get you." So one day Peter Yates goes, "Yeah, uh, who's playing the undercover cop?" And I said, "Me." <laughs> he says, All right, come on. I was in my street clothes. Yeah. So I get the job. I arrest Barbara Streisand. The year goes by. I need to get my W4. I call Vicky says, come over. And all of these guys are looked there's all these guys dressed like Marlon Brando, right? right. Yeah. And their hair slicked back. It's 1974. And he goes, Joey, I got it over here. He goes, wait a minute. Joey, 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 wait, wait. He goes, Do you do stunts? I go, yeah.
0: Sure, why not?
1: <laughs> uh, and he goes, "All right, come and meet Fred Roos. Fred Roos goes, "You do stunts, yeah. You you you're an actor, yeah. When you study, to tell him, I get hired. Now I've got what It's my job, apparently, that I'm going to come from nowhere and jump on the back of this guy Benucci. Yeah, and we're at, on Sixth Street in the, the back alley, and it's all this broken glass and condoms and you know IV needles." And, and Coppola says, where's the stunt guy? And I guess I was a little green because I saw that Fred Roos, the producer, immediately knew that I was a lying sack of shit. And he pointed wow. at me like, that's the stunt guy. So I must have been shaking because Coppola takes me, he goes, I want you to jump off, off of the first floor fire escape onto this guy's back. And, uh, and I, I said, okay. And he looked at me and he said, that's pretty high, huh? I said, yeah. And he said, all right, just come from around the building. So he knew. And, you know, somebody else would have said, get this fucking guy out of here and get me <laughs> yeah. a man." You know right. what I mean? Yeah. But he didn't do that. And that's what I'm talking about. Those kind of happy, good luck moments in your life yeah. that, you know, enabled me to meet Robert De Niro and all of these people. And mm-hmm. holy shit.
0: Well, he was like, uh, like Coppola was a pretty manic guy before he got, you know, his diagnosis for his medicine. It wasn't he was, he? was he wild to watch on set?
1: No, no, no. You, you know, very calm, very, very commanding. You know, very calm. Yeah. I uh, guess maybe
0: it, maybe it was Apocalypse Now that put him over.
1: Oh yeah, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you worked, Did you work with? I don't know. Did
1: you ever work with Dennis Hopper? I did. I worked with Dennis Hopper on a movie. In Las Vegas, and he was wonderful to work with. Peter Weller, Dennis, me, I think Tia Carrera, Howard Fuhrer directed it.
0: You know what movie you remember?
1: I, I forget the name of it. Yeah, yeah. But the cool thing that I remember is we were shooting nights, and it happened to be the night we were on. We went on the roof to see them implode the Sands Hotel, which oh. was. You know, maybe three hundred yards away, four hundred. Yeah, yeah. And we saw the Sands Hotel come down. That was amazing.
0: That must you hate Vegas? It must have been a good night for you. <laughs> <laughs> but your parent, your parents weren't the kind of people that went to Vegas, right?
1: No, no. Yeah. They. My mom, my mom was a bookie. She this summer the way we were able to go down the Jersey Shore, she would work for these bookies, and so she had a territory that would play the numbers. Uh, you know. Yeah. The boarding house uh, uh the Newark boarding house, the East Orange boarding house, the Jersey City boarding house and the Hoboken boarding house.
0: What about um Tommy Lee Jones? He's a good guy.
1: I love him. I love yeah. him. I think I think I think I learned more about acting from that guy uh because he's he's so good uh and he he's so smart. But he he his intellect, he's able to separate his intellect from from his his spontaneity, his ability to be so spontaneous, and
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, you know, I I just adored working with him. Yeah, I worked you, with him three times. I've done three movies with him.
0: Yeah, it's the same character, right? It was all the fugitive.
1: No, I, I the fugitive twice, and then we did a movie uh, with uh, uh, Ron Shelton movie a couple of years ago. Morgan, Morgan Freeman, and and and
0: uh uh-huh.
1: and Tommy Lee. It was good. And, George Wallace. Uh...
0: George Wallace, a comedian?
1: Yes. What the
0: hell movie was that?
1: I think they changed the name of it.
0: The Feast of the Seven Fishes? No. no. that no.
1: Uh,
0: the Brawler? No. Oh, maybe this is it. Just Getting Started. That's it.
1: Okay. I yeah. never saw it. I've never seen any of those movies you just mentioned. With,
0: with Rene Russo? Rene Russo was in it Yeah,
1: I never saw it. <laughs> wait, wait. That's so,
0: did you have a lot of, was your big scenes in it? Your big part?
1: I was there for a while. Yeah. I, mean, I just, you know, it's like.
0: <laughs> you're not going to watch it, but you do like it. So you're a guy like, you're like me though. Like I don't, you, you like doing it and that's enough. What do you got? It's enough.
1: Watch? And you're only going to be disappointed.
0: Yeah. Right. You
1: know, it's like, Well, oh, they did this. They took that out. Right. Uh, I suck. All pretty right. much, I, I lead with ice. But suck.
0: what? But what about the fucking Sopranos? You got to be
1: proud of that. I didn't see that either. Come on, what are you crazy? I don't have HBO to this day. Oh, I don't have okay. HBO. come on! You didn't watch yourself play that guy. That guy was a horrible person. <laughs> you know, incredibly fun, incredibly fun. But I, you know, but you know. C- very complicated guy. Very, very nasty guy. You know? Yeah,
0: he was, was fucking horrendous. <laughs> fucking horrendous.
1: Yep. Yep. But he yep. got it. <laughs> he got it. None of my kids are allowed to watch it.
0: <laughs> None of them.
1: Traumatic. It would be traumatic. Yeah. They can't separate. You know, that's the nice that's what, what's beautiful about movies is you know, you know it's a fucking movie because it's not yeah. happening. It's happening on your TV. Yeah, uh, you know. You know it. You absolutely know but you get involved. You believe these people, Yeah. Uh, you know, good ones. And yeah. so, so it's like, you know, like you said, it's the joy that in the moments of moments that there's those little moments that where in between action and cut where you go, what would, you know, they, somebody says cut and, and you go, the fuck was that you know yeah. like what ha- what, just, what just happened I, you know and then you get these directors that that was perfect do it again just like yeah. that I don't yeah. know what the fuck I just did <laughs> what's he talking about but that they kept you on
0: usually you know they kind of churn through guys in one season the bad guys but you were on for two seasons because they they yeah. all, got a lot out of you
1: Dave, Well, David you know David called you know he called me up he says it's two years work you come in You go up against Tony, you know, uh, this is all he said to me. I remember exactly. He says, he's a scumbag, but they're all scumbags. And then in the end, you're going to lose out to Tony. And, you know, it's two seasons.
0: (laughs) That's it? (laughs) That's
1: all he said. Uh, I did that thing. I was on it for two months. And I got a script and it says that I'm a coke addict. I'm a drug addict. Nobody ever said I was a coke addict. I never played that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: I didn't know this guy had an issue with drugs until yeah. I read about it. And I said, oh, I just did four, epi- four, four episodes. I could have used that. He goes, ah.
0: <laughs> Did you end up playing it later?
1: You know, there's one scene where I'm doing, I'm doing coke and yelling at Kirk Douglas. Uh, uh,
0: right, right. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. But, like, what was it, like, in terms of these guys that you, like, you know, Tommy Lee Jones – You know, you could sort of learn stuff from him as an actor. What was it like working with uh, Gandolfini? He seems pretty good.
1: He was amazing. Uh, You know, they're they're a lot alike. Uh, uh, Jimmy was incredibly sensitive. uh, And also the most generous guy I'd ever known in my life. And, um, and, you know, and and this is is a, a projection or... You know, uh, on my part, but uh, you know, I, I, be, becoming that kind of uh, iconic uh, TV star was, was, was I think, somewhat confusing to him. And how yeah. you know uh, how people changed around him was somewhat confusing to him. Uh, like what the, you know, because he was he would always say, "I don't know what the fucking noise is about. I'm just some fat guy from Jersey." Right. You know? uh, but it so much fun and, uh, you know, challenge, uh, cause you, you know, he kept you on your toes theatrically. You never, yeah. you know, you never knew who you were going to get. It was always fresh and always new. And then you have these smart editors that take all these bits and pieces and, uh, and turn it into great stuff. So when, after
0: you do that guy, Ralph in, in the Sopranos, like I, you know, I, I imagine that more than any other any other thing you did you know cuz you were on you got so much screen time that people who watched the sopranos which was everybody except for you um
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know had a had
1: a, a relief <laughs> there's still room for a fan out there then <laughs> yeah so the, one hold out here i come <laughs>
0: But I imagine that people recognize you from that more than anything. What was the reaction to, uh, that people had to that guy? I can't imagine that. There's some probably some g- guys like you grew up with who are like, there he is. But like, we
1: no. You, you know what? Well, by the time I got the Sopranos, I'd already done Memento, I'd already done Bound, I'd already done The Matrix. Oh um, right. So so, you, so, yeah. so it was a you know a cluster depending on the demographic and the cultural backgrounds of these, you know, the fans, right. you know, the college kids loved Memento. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, you, you, you had Afri- the African-Americans love The Matrix and the Bad Boys movies, and a lot of the college kids loved that. And then you got the, the Tri-Staters, you know. Uh, I, I usually get the Soprano stuff more in the in the New York area
0: philly jersey new york east
1: coast yeah east coast <laughs>
0: yeah 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 and what what is the reaction usually to him
1: uh well it, it's like they call you by the character name yeah of they'll course go, you know like uh they'll say hey i'm really sorry about tony yeah you know? but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: name. and i used to piss me off when they would call me by the character name yeah. what's my name i would say what's my name well who am i what's my name and they go, oh, relax, relax.
0: <laughs> uh, really, They think you're going to kill them?
1: Yeah, you know, and um, and and Jimmy and Stevie Van Sant, Michael Imperioli would say, yeah. hey Joey, you know, these are your fans. They're, they're, you know, they're paying the fucking rent. The customer's always right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after I get like, I imagine that women probably gave you a dirty look.
1: No, on the contrary. Uh, Women, I, I, I remember after that that scene where you uh, killed this. You uh, killed a stripper. No, I killed this. I killed a underage stripper,
0: pregnant stripper.
1: My child.
0: Yeah, yeah. My
1: child. And uh, and I was I was uh, looking at a store on Fifth Avenue. A couple of days later, I was looking in the window. Yeah. And, so, and somebody taps me on the shoulder, and it startled me. I turned around, and it was this nice. Blue-haired old lady. Yeah, she said, "Well, I wanted to say hello because I love your work, but I guess you're not as tough as the guy you play on television." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, after after I did Sopranos, I wanted to do. I wanted to change up. Uh, you didn't want uh, to be, uh, yeah. that adversity, so <laughs> yeah. I did. I, I produced and acted in a movie, uh, uh, Marsha Gay Harden. It was in uh called canvas about an italian american family who's uh who's introduced to mental illness and how mental illness is, affects the whole family not just the diagnoses
0: is there something you something you wrote
1: no no a guy a, a guy named Joe greco wrote and directed it but it was something that I wanted to uh marshal in because I'd been getting slapped around we were all getting slapped around by these anti- Italian American anti defamation leagues, uh, that, you know, and I was like, "Hey, they, they didn't want you to take the job. Like, what are you guys nuts?" And so, well, what I, do you mean
0: I, uh, by Italians?
1: Yeah, there was a there was a whole period where these Italian American defamation leagues were going after uh, the Sopranos and David and and the actors uh, for even being a part of something that was that good, uh, but they they thought it, it defamed Italian Americans. Huh. And I always thought that what I loved about The Sopranos uh, was that if 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 The Godfather was about the the birth of family, you know, the American family yeah. and honor, The Sopranos was about the deconstruction right. of the right. of the family that right. falling apart. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and I really liked that. Uh, so any opportunity—that's why you know the movie that I got coming out. Uh, from the vine, yeah, which which was an opportunity to play this Italian uh, American character who's a lawyer who winds up working in a factory and then has a an awakening uh, with with what he's doing for a living and goes back to his home country in Italy. So I got to work in Italy with Italian actors, and it was a bilingual uh, uh, movie. And, and it was it was a lot of fun for me to be to get an opportunity like that because the movies that kind of really gave me most value were these little independent movies like yeah. La Bamba and and Bound uh, and and Memento. Yeah. Uh, in those days, you know, these two, three, four million dollar movies where they couldn't get movie stars to play those parts. So a guy like me was able to get those parts. And the same thing with with technology as it is today. This movie that we made in Italy, you know, for like a million bucks. But the technology is, is such that you can do it and it's less financial risk for the uh, producers. And that a guy like me, they don't need some uh, movie star, $2 million movie star. So I can come in yeah. and, and get to play it these good parts.
0: So what was the thing about canvas that did, that was uh, so re- re- revelatory to you?
1: It was the idea that, that when someone, when someone's mind breaks and, and someone that you love has ch- changed in a way that she no longer can, can be reached. And, and then you have a 10 year old boy and you're stuck in the middle of, of, how do you get somebody help that doesn't think they need it? Yeah. You know, crazy people, we don't think we're crazy.
0: Right, you know? right, right. And,
1: and, and actually, that was the, the conduit that when Marcia Gay started working, I remember the first thought was like, who does she remind me of? And then I realized it was my mother, because I never thought my mother was nuts. I just thought she was Italian. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so like I just thought it was yeah. a you know a, a ethnic thing. I yeah, didn't think yeah. it was mental, right?
0: You right. know, yeah. Uh,
1: and so I was like, wait a minute, if that if that's the case, then it's not her fault. It wasn't my mother's fault, and then maybe this is not my fault.
0: Huh, that's interesting. So it was through the uh, through the work on that film that was sort of the portal into you forgiving. Your mother and yourself, and and sort of reframing your entire uh, uh, life in 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 a kind of a more empathetic uh, through a more empathetic lens.
1: Yeah, it it, it it became the thing where I asked for help. It was like mm. something I'm hurting. It hurts. I was sucking down twenty Vicodin a day, and 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 didn't I couldn't understand why I was so depressed. And I was, you know, I'd look out. My window, and you know, and I'm, in, you know, in the ha- in my dream house, I'm I'm making money. I just won an Emmy award. I, all of the things that I thought were gonna, you know, make this feeling go away. Right. And I, I was like, and I had this like, I want to die. Mm. Why do I want to die? It was yeah. like fascinating. Why you got everything you want and now you want to kill yourself? What's up? What's wrong with you?
0: Yeah. And and now so what what'd you start to do? You went to therapy or you worked it through? You well,
1: I had to you know, I, I had a history uh heart disease in my family before I found oh. out my father was my father. So it t- turns out the good news is I don't have heart, okay, heart
0: disease.
1: <laughs> <laughs> good news you don't have heart disease. The bad news is you're gonna live to you eighty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um so so I you know, I went there and the doctor said, How you doing? uh ekg's okay how you feeling i said you know i feel like i'm like underwater i feel like i'm walking through quicksand and yeah yeah and he said oh yeah well you know wrong department uh here's here's these three or four guys you call (laughs) wrong
0: department
1: (laughs) so so i i found a guy yeah, uh, a doctor, and 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 that started the journey. And so as as I started the, you know, I didn't know I had a drug problem. I didn't know I was alcoholic. I didn't know I was crazy. I didn't know any of those things. Yeah, you know, I just knew that just you know, I don't have energy. I got to get yeah. my energy back. <laughs>
0: right. That was. The, Doesn't yeah.
1: everybody want to kill themselves? I mean, <laughs> and,
0: I I thought I thought anybody who's smart wants to kill themselves, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and the, and the and the the thing that the doctor one day the doctor I'm talking. And he yeah, was, he he's nodding his head. Dr. Kelly, his name was. And he was half Jewish and half Irish. And he had the map of Ireland on his face. But he sounded, he talked like this. You know, yeah, had, yeah. That Jewish New Jersey thing. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, you're not going to like hearing this. But your first waking conscious thought in the morning is, fuck, I'm still here. Yeah. And I started sobbing. I just, I just, I just, you know, and for the next six months. That's all pretty much, that's all I did. And all this pain, I didn't know where it was coming from to this day. I really don't know where it was coming from, you know, putting it all together. And I think also 9-11, when 9-11 happened, something, it was like a, a fault line. Something got shook Yeah. Uh, and all of that emotional dust, um, and unresolved traumatic events that happened in the course of my lifetime all came crashing at me and, uh, and, and, and that's when I that's when I started do, doing the drugs, in a serious way. They got hold of me, um, and 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 at that point, you know, I was about like you know like the uh, country western song about to lose everything. Yeah. Uh, but then, I, I you know I surrendered kind of thing
0: but you were able to do that, that grieving, right? You were able to, you keep crying. That's, I mean, that's the trick, right? Mm -hmm. Shit, man. Like, you know, once it started coming up, like you kept, you let it, you let it keep coming, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, and, and I, luckily I had people and, you know, mentors again, you know, I had a good doctor and I had an AA sponsor that would just say nothing. They're just like non-judgmental
0: yeah yeah well that's so that's great man i i mean like because i feel it i feel like i need to somehow figure out how to let all that go because i i stop myself from the crying you know i I toughen up around it Mm -hmm. but i don't you know because i know it needs to happen i don't again like you said i don't know what for but i i know it needs to happen someplace and not just during you know movies or a sad commercial So I got to figure out, you know, like the tears squeak out. You know, like I got to put my cat down. That's gonna fucking send me over the edge. But I, I know there's an abundance of it down there.
1: But the thing is, is like I, I talk about this a lot with my family. It's like if I tell you a joke and I make you laugh, you that's an emotion. Yeah. Or why, why, why are we discriminating against pain? Why, why is pain devalued or shamed? Why? If I, you know, making you cry or making you laugh or making you angry, why is it okay to have those feelings and not have the pain?
0: Well, well, I think that, you know, uh, laughing and maybe a little bit of discomfort's probably a a, a little more acceptable socially. You don't want to go to a party and try to upset everybody, (laughs) make everybody cry. I mean, I think it's... (laughs) It's a context thing, you know what I mean? I mean, it, it's it, it's not a great defense to be standing there in front of a, you know, in, in a room full of your family, all of them crying and you're yelling, going like, this is what we need to be doing, yeah. you know? So. Well,
1: you know, that's what wakes and, and weddings are for.
0: <laughs> no, I see what you're saying, though, that there is a discomfort. Uh, I, I, I've talked about it before. I, I do, I, I think that at some point, You know, we lost the ability to realize that, you know, it's fairly easy to be there for people because a lot of times all you have to do is listen. But for sometimes, sometimes for some reason, people think that people other people's problems are a burden. So people become ashamed of their problems. Right. So they don't want to talk about them because they don't want to burden people. And it's just this weird thing about the pace of life or people's priorities, because a lot of times, you know, all you got to do is stand there. You you know that, you know, and listen to a guy. And then that's it, you know. Feel what you're going to feel. But if they need to talk or they need to cry or whatever, you just stand there and you go, "Okay, you better." Okay, well, let me know. Call me again if you need to. And but for some reason, that people don't do that.
1: Well, that's I mean, yeah. This this wasn't happening during dinner parties. It you know it was like right in, in safe environments in twelve step rooms. Right. And in fact, in the twelve, you know, in, in, in the AA rooms because yeah. you know the, the my guy would say, "Hey, look, you know." Just call it alcoholism.
0: Yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> it's, right.
1: You know, you know, it's you're crazy, but you know, call it alcoholism. So, so people would grab him later and say, "Hey, look, get, this guy's fucking nuts. Get him out of here." He, he, <laughs> <this."> <laughs> and, and my and my guy was, you know, uh, ex cop, Irish, six yeah. five. So yeah. they were gonna fuck with him. Yeah, and he said, yeah. "You know, don't worry about him. I got him. Don't worry about him."
0: <laughs> He'll level off. <laughs> and you did huh yeah thank god yeah hey buddy it's great talking to you i'm looking forward to seeing the new movie i watched a little uh a trailer of it it looks nice it looks Thanks. sweet are you yeah, gonna watch it
1: i've actually seen that one oh yeah, really I've seen that one i have i've actually seen that one and uh and it's pretty good i like it a lot it's just what the country needs it's about life and love and uh not about making money where well, this guy was making a lot of money and he realized, uh, you know, we, he's got a daughter that hates him and a wife, uh, that, you know, that doesn't love him anymore. And he didn't even know it. So it, it's a great, it's, it's great. It's fun. And there's a lot of great actors. in Did it.
0: you, did you feel like, uh, that was, those are themes that you could understand?
1: Oh yeah. I told the director, <laughs> I said, look, I don't, they hired me right. You know, right quick i said look this is going to be a documentary i i don't have time to put together a character
0: <laughs> does it take time for you to put together characters
1: well sometimes when they're really complicated but this guy was is in a lot of ways closest to who i really am
0: and how do you, you but know. how do you do that how do you put the like you know what what determines what what how do you go about putting together a complicated character
1: well you know when you investigate i, I um uh, you know, based on the given circumstances, you know, like the little clues, what other characters are saying about you. Right. Uh, you know, when I was doing the Sopranos, I remember I noticed, I'd done three or four scenes, and I noticed that every time that I hit somebody or hurt yeah. somebody, that somehow they, it was a reaction to them starting it. They, they all came at me first. Right. and I and I said to David Chase I said hey David I noticed this about the guy what do you think and he said uh well eh, sounds you know weird whatever yeah run with it <laughs> um but with the girl with you know with with the uh with the girlfriend yeah. you know she she becomes very vulnerable in that scene and she's and uh and she she says i'm going to name the baby something and i go oh great and if it's a girl we can name the baby after you so she could grow up to be a cocksucking slut, just like her mother. Right. And she, and she hits me. I got her to hit me. And then that gave me permission to retaliate. Right. And I, and and that was a big clue for this guy. Um, you know, and, and that's the, and you can make stuff up. You can create, you can create a set idea and say, okay, this is, this is why, this is why he's that way or, this right
0: so right right right. yeah that's so funny because that's sort of like you know, it's it's that thing about you know like uh the permission like you know it's like your mother pushing your buttons until she got to be able to sing yeah <laughs> yeah you just keep poking at people until they snap and then you go oh you're gonna do that fuck you yeah <laughs> I tell you, I feel better. I think we got a lot accomplished. I I feel like uh you know I you know I, I got a meeting in. That's good.
1: Well, thank you. I I really enjoy uh, listening to you, and I think you're a terrific actor. I loved you on your show. Oh, and thanks, I, man. I thought that was a very complicated, interesting uh, character, and I was very jealous. So that means you were very good.
0: Well, thank you very much. You know, I, the more I talk to guys like you, and the more I I sort of think about the job of acting, since I'm relatively new to it, in in the sense I've been a comic my whole life. Like, I, I'm starting to appreciate it more, you know, after having conversations, like even this conversation. Like, I, I think I can bring more to that guy. I was, uh, we, I was set to start uh, shooting the day that we, they closed it down for the last season, so I was looking forward to getting involved with that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but thank you for saying that, and thank you for some of the uh, acting tips. Thank you. Joey Pants, Jersey. Glad he's okay. I am okay, I don't know if the country's okay, kind of hope our president's not okay, the twitching and the jerking, what's up, I guess I shouldn't wish ill on anybody, but god damn it, something's got to give, okay, sad guitar still, still sad guitar.